Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Today we're continuing, and we're in this series where we're, uh, we've been spending several weeks focusing on the wisdom book, which is, uh, one of them is Proverbs, and uh, I hope you're feeling wiser as you dig into God's Word and it's coming alive in you. And so today as we dig into Proverbs, we're looking at Proverbs chapter 22 and that first part. And it begins by saying, this is a verse my mom said to me all the time. She said this to me. She said, Dwayne, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. Amen to that, Mom. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on, and they suffer for it. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Remember, fear of the Lord is the foundation of all wisdom. It says, thorns and snares are in the way of the crooked. Whoever guards his soul will keep far from them. And then we come to this verse where it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And as I was going through and saying, Lord, what is the verse that I should kind of focus in on? This one popped out. Because this is a verse, and I think, you know, when you become a parent, you become overfilled with joy, but I mean, there is no guilt like parent guilt. How many have a little bit of parent guilt in your life? Because <laughs> right? you're going, there's so much more I could do, and I think especially in the culture that we're in, I see parents, and I do this myself, where if a child makes a mistake, it's like, oh, that's my fault. I mean, even with my dog, you know, I've, I've even been known to say, there's no such thing as a bad dog, just bad owners, right? But... There's some bad dogs out there. Not my dog. But this, but this is a verse as you dive into it. It's, it's got a lot of punch into it because, especially if you're a parent, at first glance, this, it seems like a promise. And a lot of times we read this as a promise where it's like, if I train up a child in the way they should go, when they're old, they're not going to depart from it. How many of you have heard that before? And you've read it as a promise. And then when they don't do what they're supposed to do, you know, maybe you have one of those children, and maybe they don't go the way or you're teaching one of them, then it seems like, well, maybe I didn't train them right. Maybe I didn't. Or if they rebelled, I failed. And it's like every week I come and say, Lord, forgive me for being a bad parent. Well, today as we dive in, I think we'll, uh, I hope you'll see that this is not what it's saying and my hope today is that whether you're a parent or not or a teacher or a leader or anything in any aspect, that the Lord would shed some, shed some light on this for you and that there would be some hope restored to your life. Because here's the thing, when we look to God's word, it is life, it is giving, it leads us, it guides us, and it fills us with the hope that we need. How many of you are ready for some hope today? Amen? Amen. I am, and I've been in, diving into this all week, so God bless you again. So as we go forward, here's the first thing that's important for us. As we look at this first today, one of the big things that we've got to keep in mind is that Proverbs are not promises. Say that with me. Proverbs are not promises. If they were, then information would be enough. Is information enough? No, we're one of the most informed generations ever, and I, the older I get, the more I look back at my dad and say, he was smarter than me, and he didn't have Google, okay? So this is often one of the misinterpreted, because it's often been misread to mean, if you do this, 
if you train up a child in the way they, they should go, then this will happen, which means they will not depart from it. So if you train the child right, they're going to walk right. So when, when you see a child misbehaving, then you would, the, the, the uh, deduction would be, well, I, I guess the parents didn't train them right. And now, there are promises in the Bible, there's, and there's two types. There's the unconditional, and then there's the, there's the conditional, right? So there's an unconditional, and I mentioned that during our prayer time, Hebrews 13, 5, unconditional promise of God when he said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. That means no matter what you do, God is ready. He's, he's always with us. That's an unconditional promise, not dependent on me. But the Bible also has some promises that are known as conditional. That means that these are promises that there are conditions to them where if you do this, then this will happen. 1 John 1, 9 is a big one. If we confess our sins, then he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us. So if I confess, God is ready. But in order to be forgiven, Dwayne needs to confess, okay? And then the other one there, Isaiah 26, 3, where it says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust you. So it's a promise from God where if I will trust him, if I will lean into him and I will walk in that, then he's going to bring that peace into my life, peace in the midst of a storm, okay? But there needs to be a turning of my heart for that. So, so there are promises, conditional and unconditional, but as it relates to the Proverbs, this is not a promise. This is not a promise. And I think you, I think you know already that when it comes to parenting, there are no guarantees. There's no return policy. There's no unlimited warranty. There's nothing except the baby. And I love, isn't it good seeing the babies around? So Aaron, so good to see your little baby today. I mean, it is just, you know, James and Jade, so good to see John, John and Jade, so good to see you guys back today. I mean, you see the babies and you're like, great, but, but guys, there's no guarantees. There's no guarantees, and, and, and in fact, this is probably one of the greatest frustrations for parents, right? For new, inexperienced leaders or parents, right, Be, before you have the child, before you walk into it, we're all experts. I remember, you know, when we were, uh, before we had kids, Steph and I were sitting in a restaurant, there was a baby sitting over there, and one of us, I'm not going to say who, said, you know what, if that was my child, I'd make him quiet. Eggs, right? Yeah. Okay, she's fessing up. Stephanie said that. <laughs> and sitting across was the youth pastor who was 10 years ahead of us, had kids, and he looked at her, started laughing, and said, oh, Stephanie, one day you will eat your words, right? Because, and now, here's what it is for me now. For me now, when another kid's crying, I'm like, isn't that cute? But when it's my kid, I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> right? Because that's how we feel because, you know, you, you, you feel like, you know, if I was the parent, if I was in charge, if I was pastor of this church, right? And then we step into the role and we're like, oh, me, oh, my. See, we would love it if all we had to do was instruct kids or instruct people or if you're a manager, just instruct people. How many managers have found all you got to do is tell your team and they do it? Management means you walk alongside. And everyone will tell you one of the toughest jobs out there is a manager, or how we like to call managers, teachers. <laughs> you walk through, you're teaching, you're managing kids. Morgan's going, yay! I mean, you've got to walk through because it is tough. It's not just informing. And see, here's the thing we've got to keep in mind. We can be very critical of that, but I mean, when we were all kids, we didn't listen very well. How many of you listened to your parent perfectly? 
How many of you listen to your teacher perfectly? How many of you listen to your boss perfectly? Whoever that leader is in your life. And don't get me wrong, I mean, manuals are important and very necessary. We need to write it out. We have God's Word, but it does not guarantee, manuals don't guarantee that everything will run perfectly. And we know this because God told us this. Now, again, we need the information, but God told us this because God, he's the perfect father, and yet in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2, God records how even his own children rebelled when he said, hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Here's what God said. God said, children I have reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. See, the story of the nation of Israel, God's people that he created and brought together, his children, is a story of a nation that was on a cycle of rebellion and coming back and rebelling and coming back. And even Jesus, the perfect leader, fully God, fully man, filled with all wisdom, all power, all discernment, and yet people walked away from Jesus, people misunderstood Jesus, Judas, one of his 12 that he sat with, that he, he cooked for, he did all these things for even Judas walked away and betrayed him even unto death. So here's the thing. If you're beating yourself up today, I hope this is hope for you. This is not a verse that we use to beat people up. And I'm praying that God would just pour that perfect grace in your life because I found that some of the people that beat themselves up the most are some of the most hardest working parents and teachers out there because they care. So fill your heart and mind with the Spirit of God that you can do everything right and people will walk away, children will walk away, things will walk away. Again, don't misunderstand me. We have a responsibility. We need manuals. We need to write it out. That's why 2 Timothy says, all Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And the purpose of the book of Proverbs was that we would know wisdom and instruction, to understand the words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, in justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. I mean, we need these things. Instruction and knowledge is important, but it's just the beginning. We don't stop there. So with all that being said, knowing that Proverbs is not a promise, it's not a guarantee, what is this all about, this verse about, about training children? It's all about training. What this verse is about, it's saying that children need to be trained. There's no guarantee, but they need to be trained. See, one of the biggest things that we need to understand today is that children need training. Now, we understand the need for training in areas of academics and in athletics and all these things because we don't just throw books at them and say, good luck. And even with online learning, one of the biggest things that they found out that even the, that the effect of kids not being in the classroom during COVID and all those things, that, the, uh, that the, the national educators, when they looked at it, they estimated that kids are behind about two years. Because with all that we tried to do and everything that we did and working hard, and teachers will tell you that they worked harder because it was so difficult just to teach, they needed training. We don't just throw books at them. We instruct. We test. We model. I've had tutors in my home. I've taken lessons. I've done a lot of things. We watch videos. We've all, we, go, we all go to YouTube University because we want to be with people that they execute their craft at a high, at a mastery level. And in academics, we recognize this, but our society somehow feels that we don't need this training in some of the most important areas of our life. 
Our society has become more and more confused on the need for training as it relates to the most important thing about a child, the thing about the child that, that enables a child and for all of us to learn, and it's the training of a child's nature, or what the Bible calls their heart. Our heart needs training. The heart of a child, it needs training. And the Bible even says that the heart of a child, the heart of a person, is the most important thing about them. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your what? Your heart. For everything. Say everything. Everything you do flows from your heart. And Samuel even talks about how, you know, we as, as humans, we tend to look at the outside, of, right, the appearance of the things that we see. But when God looks at us, what does he look at? He looks at our heart. See, our heart is the thing that drives us. Our heart is the thing it drives what we think, what we feel, our behaviors. I mean, our heart leads us to make good decisions or it leads us to make bad decisions. And our heart even tells us whether to follow our brain and logic or to follow our emotions and our flesh. And Paul was very clear that left alone, he, Paul said that the heart can easily be hurt, can easily be filled with all bitterness and all rage and anger and harsh words and slander, as well as all other types of evil behavior. He said this to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 4. And Jeremiah he said, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things, desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? That's why when we look at this proverb, it's not a promise to us. This proverb, it's a warning to us. God is, he's trying to warn us in this and, and try to give us some, some wisdom that we need to train and shape the heart of our children. And when you look at everything that precedes it in the Proverbs and everything that comes after it, you see these verses that talk about the need for it. I mean, because as much as we love our children, I love my children. There's none more beautiful. But we know, I hope we do, that children left alone will get in trouble. Have you found that? I've said before, you know, I have no problem with children crying in here. I get more scared when children are quiet. <laughs> Where are they? What are they doing? Because Proverbs twenty-two fifteen says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Proverbs twenty-nine fifteen, a child left to himself brings shame to his mom. And some of you going, mm-hmm. And David even said, surely, <laughs> this is David, King David, apple of God's eye, said, I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And then he said, even from birth, the wicked go astray. From the womb, they are wayward, spreading lies. Happy birthday. <laughs> I mean, you know, we don't put this over the doors and the entrance to our children's ministry, by the way, okay? But this is true. The, the Bible is very clear that just the reality of it, we are all, all born sinners, God bless you. Born, we're all born sinners in this. See, in other words, so as we look at this, recognizing that, this proverb can be better understood by saying, we better train up a child in the way that they should go. Otherwise, when they're old, they're not going to depart from this sinful nature. We need to train them. And that's why Jesus said early in his ministry, in John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus said, unless we are born again by the Spirit of God, we will never see the kingdom of God. 
See, we are born in sin, and you've heard me say it before, we're born out of alignment. And any car that's out of alignment, you don't just ignore it and say, someday this will get better. He's like, no, 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 that's a, a fool does that. You bring it to your trusted dealer, mechanic, engineer, car person, and what do they do? They put it up, they take it off, and they say, we got to fix this. you got to get the tires off. you got to do all that stuff that I don't understand that God gave them wisdom to do. And as it relates to children, it's our responsibility to train them up. It's our responsibility to show them a life that shows God so that they see someone who's pursuing God in all that they do, that they're seeing somebody that doesn't just know about God, but we're training their heart that they're seeing somebody that they're experiencing God. My mom, my dad, my uncle, my grandparent, my teacher, they're walking with God. They're, they're experiencing this. And this is our responsibility, especially as parents, to train children and to help them in guarding their heart. See, God is our strength. He's our source. He's our help. But we have a responsibility. We need to step into this. God invites us to come in, but he doesn't coerce. He invites you to come in and say, this is a responsibility. This is a warning. See, it's our responsibility, as Hebrews 12 says, to strip off every hindrance and every weight that slows us down. That's why Paul told the church at Philippi, he said, look, you need to work hard. I think sometimes it's one of the biggest surprises with Christianity is that we think that when we turn our life to God that everything's done. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. Now you're in it. Now you're in it. I'm going to train you. I'm going to equip you. You're going to have hard times. You're going to have restful times. You're going to have challenging times. You're going to be filled with all the emotions about it. But there is a work to it, not for our salvation. That's a free gift of God. You're hearing me, right? I'm not saying that, you know, we are not saved by works. No. But there's a responsibility that comes with it. Do you see the difference in that? There's a responsibility. It's a free gift of God. But there's a fruit that comes out of it. And God uses the word love. Love is a sacrificial word. He said, you'll know that you're my disciple. You'll know this is real by how you love each other. And love is sacrifice. Love is tough. And it builds. It's as deep and it's life-changing. So Paul says, yeah, work hard to show the result of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence. And then he uses this word fear that we've been talking about. That awe, that wonder, that God, you are amazing. That when you're in the presence of God, you just fall to your knees and you say, Lord, move in my life. Forgive me, oh Lord. Transform me. It's our responsibility to train. We're in a culture that is aggressively going after the heart of every child. And you don't have to look very far to see it. Sadly, so many in our education system, they've stopped educating and they've just gone for the heart to twist it, to confuse it, to, to dissuade from God. It's the heart. And we have this opportunity because here's the thing. Every human is made in the image of God. When you speak the truth of God, when you live the truth of God, when you love in that way, there is a resonance. The Bible said that no one has an excuse because when you speak Jesus, when you are filled with the presence, the very power of God, and you step in, there's a tuning fork that will shake. And I've seen this happen many times when I've talked to people. I had one person one time, they, I was the only pastor they knew, they asked if they could interview me for this paper that they were doing. And they asked it on something else. And I said, yes, you can interview me. And when they came in, I'm like, whatever the first question is, I'm going to speak Jesus. 
And I began saying, well, here's every question for me goes back. God made me, he created me, and he loves me. I left him, and now because he died for me, he's coming back because he wants to be reconciled to me. And now I get to be with, the very, be with God, and he's alive in me, and he strengthens me, and he gives me wisdom for even right now here. And I looked across at her, and tears were in her eyes. And she's like, why am I crying when you said that? I said, because you were made in the image of God. He's inside of you. He wants to be reconciled to you. And so she's doing this paper, and God's speaking to her in that moment. Why? Because the truth of God is resonating. And when we speak it, it changes us because it's the heart. It's the heart. So how do we train this way? How do we train this way? Because I could talk about things like that all day. It lights me up. I feel better now just talking about it. How do we train up a child? How do we train that heart? Well, in the book of Proverbs and throughout, it uses one key word, and the word that it uses is the word discipline. Discipline. How many of you are just like, I love talking about discipline. I was hoping today. I brought my friend. I was hoping that Dwayne would talk about discipline today. But it's true. I mean, when you look at wisdom, and I think we all want to be wiser, there's a lot of benefits to being wise. But when we look at this, wisdom is always, always accompanied by discipline. Remember, information is knowledge. It's just knowledge. Knowledge alone doesn't make you wise. There's a lot of very knowledgeable people in jail. There's a lot of very knowledgeable people suffering. There's a lot of very knowledgeable people doing terrible things. See, wisdom is the application of knowledge. Wisdom is the pursuit of the skill of applying the knowledge that we have attained from God. And I love this. This, this, this was from my ESV study Bible. You know, I had someone once, I brought my Bible to prayer service one night, and someone said, that's the biggest Bible I've ever seen. I'm like, I need it all. <laughs> It's my study Bible. It's got the Bible and it's got commentary notes and everything. And here's, here's what it said. I love this. It says, wisdom is about acquiring the skill in the art of godly living. Isn't that good? It's about acquiring the skill in the art. It's, it's an art of godly living. And how do we attain this skill? We attain this skill like every other skill. No skill is attained without discipline. See, skill is attained through discipline. I mean, ask any musician what the secret to their success is, and they will tell you three things. Do you know what they are? Practice, practice, practice. And then you quit that first piano lesson. Because you recognize there's no shortcuts. I even heard an interview this past week where they were talking to this amazing young artist. I mean, just what this guy can do is just amazing. People from every genre of music look at him and go, what? It's, it's, just, it's amazing. And I heard an interview, they were talking about him, and they were saying, he's so young, you know, that he must just be born with this, and it was there, and it just looked so natural for him, and just, you know, it just, it was just, it must be good. And it's almost like they were trying to justify that, you know, that this guy is special. Now, is there a gift? Yes. There are people that have gifts, and it's there. But what Jesus taught us through the parable of talents is that talent that is buried does not grow. Remember when he handed out the talents? 
two took it and they used it. They invested it. They went out for it. But the one who buried it, that was the one they said, even what you have will be taken. Because talent is to be invested. Talent is to be used. So is he gifted? Yes. But you dig deeper into this guy's life, he will tell you that he eats, sleeps, and breathes music. He's been, he's studied with some of the best of the best. He's practiced. He's gone in. And he's just, he's always studying, always learning because he wants to grow in it. That's why 1 Timothy 4, 7, as it relates to our spirit life, it says that we are to train ourselves for godly living. Train ourselves. Train ourselves for godly living. There's a responsibility that's placed on us. Do you know the difference between an amateur musician and a professional musician? About six hours practice a day. And some are often surprised that they'll, they'll see a professional musician and they're like, they're still practicing eight hours a day? Yes. <laughs> if you bury it, it dies. Your hands start to seize up. Your throat starts to seize up. I mean, whatever your talent, whatever your gift is. See, there is an expectancy. There's a necessary work that goes into it. I think one of, the, one of the big aha moments for me when I went to university to study piano was just how much the really good musicians practiced. Now, I, I mean, I grew up taking piano lessons, and I filled out all the practice sheets. I lied a little bit on them. Um, but as we went through, I knew practice was important. But when I went to university, and I saw people that were doing amazing things, playing effortlessly, and then I would walk through the halls, and I'm like, he's always there. She's always there. I realized very quick, if I'm going to take this seriously, there's some things I've got to say no to. There's some things I've got to pull in. Because, see, people who do this, they're like, well, it's effortlessly. And even in a spirit life, you know, well, it's easy for my dad to say no to things. It's easy for my, you know, it, it, it looks like my dad never sins. It's just easy for him. It's a boring life. Okay, any dad in the room, raise their hand and go, it's easy. Any mom in the room, any human in the room, we are all given to this. See, effortlessness, the appearance of it, is not achieved by one good month of habits. There are no overnight successes. Effortless is not achieved by just being with a great teacher. Effortlessness, as it relates to you, is by completely surrendering yourself to God, to the process, and engaging now in that refining. I was talking, this, we, had our, we have a, um, prayer at 9.30 every Sunday morning over here to the side. And we're talking about that, that process of sanding. And for any of you that you've ever had to sand something, you know, we kind of focus on the fine sanding at the very end of refining. But if you've ever done any sanding, that first piece of sandpaper that's on, it is the most coarse, it's the, uh, it's the stuff that just really kind of burns against you where if you miss the wood and get your finger, you're going to, be praying for that in a little bit. In the beginning, it can seem very harsh. and like, why is this happening? But then there's a refining, and then the grains come out, and then the beauty of the wood comes out. It takes practice. It's focused practice. It's under the guidance of a teacher. It's there. They're, they're telling you how to, how to warm up, how to engage, and so many analogies that I, I could use for this. But it's the discipline that comes in. 
That's why even the Hebrew word here for training, is, it, 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 it speaks to a systematic form of training. And when we think about the systems and the habits and the things that we, we focus on, a lot of these systems begin by starting off with what is your goal, right? If, you're, if you've ever gone to somebody and you're like, I, I just need help, and I, I just want to grow in it, and they'll look at you, what is your goal here? I've done this where I, sometimes I've had older students come to me when I used to teach. I don't teach anymore. But when I used to teach, if I had an older student, I'd say, what's your goal? Is your goal just to have fun? Well, that's one track. Is your goal to, like, you're starting a new career and want to go into it? That's a completely different track. There's a whole new level for that. Are we just having fun here, or are you wanting to be a part of a trio, or you wanting to be a great composer, or whatever you want to do? So as it relates to this, and as it relates to our children, it made me think about, you know, one of the great things to ask is, what is your goal for your child? What is the goal of the children that are around us? Again, whether you're mom, dad, aunt, uncle, teacher, whoever you are, you're going to come across children because the Lord is blessing. And there's children everywhere. What is your goal for the child? And a common answer that you'll get from people is like, what's your goal for your child? Is a common goal will be, well, I just want them to be happy. I just want my child to be happy. And any of us, we may have said that before. And how many, I mean, who wants to be happy today? You want to be happy today? I do. I like being happy. Thank you, Dick, for being honest. You and I want to be happy. <laughs> we, want, we want to be happy. I love being happy. I love when good things happen. And it sounds like a good goal, but unfortunately, we've been sold the lie of happiness. See, happiness is finicky. Happiness, it comes and goes. And my happiness, it comes and goes throughout the day. There's times I feel really good. I get up in the morning, it's nice and quiet. I got my Bible, my dog, my coffee, and everything's great. And then, some, I, and then, then I get a text, and I'm not happy anymore. <laughs> right? Or I, one morning I got up, and I found out that I had no coffee left. You're mourning with those who mourn so that I might be comforted, I know. Happiness is finicky. If you try to make somebody happy, I mean, that's like my dog chasing the tail. He gets wear out and he just falls to the ground, right? It's finicky. If, you, if your goal is to just make a child, I just want them to be happy, you're going to be exhausted, you're going to be frustrated, and instead of the child being happier, you're actually robbing the child of happiness because you're taking away the only way to have that true joy. See, happiness is not the goal. It's fleeting, and it's misleading at best. Do you know the number one goal that I have for my life and for my kids? More than anything, as we see in his Proverbs, rich and poor, the Lord God makes them all. More than wealth, more than education, more than liking me, because I can be finicky myself. Thank you for amen in that. <laughs> I want them to know God. My number one goal for my kids. My number one goal for people around me is that they would know God, that they would experience God, that they would walk with God, that they would be filled 
filled with the fear of the Lord because that's the beginning of all wisdom. All of life is rooted in this. That's why, he, that's why it says that we're to seek first the kingdom of God. First. Seek first the kingdom of God. And then there's a promise. What's the promise? Then all these things will be added in everything. That's why even in giving, it's first. <laughs> Trust God first, and then these things will be added. It's not a prosperity doctrine because it's not an investment portfolio, it's, but it's saying that when you place God first, the Lord is with you. Do you know that I've often eaten better when I've been broke more? <laughs> that people have brought me food better than I could have cooked for myself. The Lord has a lot of ways of blessing you. But you seek Him first. I want my children to be raised in that fear, that awe, that wonder of God, that yes, He is real. And as it relates to this, all of this training, the Bible says, there's a discipline to it. See, all of this is achieved by a life that is continually surrendered and daily reoriented around God, a disciplined life. Now, am I filled with the Spirit? Yes. Does the Spirit empower me? Yes. But I need to have the discipline of positioning myself. Because God's not, not going to bless my sin. He's not going to bless my laziness. He's a just God. But I'll tell you, my Spirit-filled life, in the darkest times of my life, what has kept me strong is the discipline of the Lord and the discipline of that schedule. That's why it says in Proverbs 12, it said, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is what? Stupid. Now, that's a word you shouldn't use very much. He who hates reproof is stupid. Proverbs 3, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord, he reproves, he disciplines those he loves as a father the son. And I love Proverbs 25 when it says, a person without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. It's saying you're vulnerable. You don't like discipline? You are vulnerable. Your walls are broken and you're open to anything. And Paul even writes, he says, don't you realize in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? He says, so run to win. All athletes are what? Disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize, so run with purpose in every step. And he says, I'm not shadow boxing here. He said, I discipline my body. And one version says where Paul says, I beat my body. I beat my body. Like an athlete, training it to do what I should do. He said, otherwise, I fear that after my preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. It's 1 Corinthians 9. See, Jesus modeled this. Jesus was perfect in all of his ways, fully God, fully man, all deserve of perfection. And his disciplines of life, when you look at him, it says from a young age that daily he was gathering with people in worship in the temple, people he knew that would one day kill him. 
He daily gathered there. He daily studied God's word. That daily he would get away for times of prayer. Daily he would serve and minister to others. Some loved him. Some criticized him. Some were just confused. But daily he was teaching. And when the disciples came back from being sent to ministry and said, we couldn't do it. Jesus pointed back to the disciplines. Are you praying enough? Are you fasting enough? Are you positioning your God, uh, your life before God in a way that, that he is filling you, that he is empowering you? Are you saying no to the things of the world? Are you the things that offend God? Are you offended by it? That's why David said, I've made a covenant with my eyes that I'm not going to look at things that defile the Lord, things that displease the Lord. Why? Because I'm in training here. It's serious. I want my kids to know, they know I'm not perfect. I don't need to teach them that. But I want them to see that when I fail, I run back to God. I want them to see that in everything, when I mess up, I'm going to confess and say I'm sorry. It's the pursuit of a life. That's why when God instructs us to teach us, way back in Deuteronomy 6, he said this, he said, these commandments that I give you today, they're to be on your heart. And here's what he says, impress them. These commandments, these directions, these disciplines, he said, impress them to your children. And here's, do you know when you should tell your children? Tell them when you sit at home. Tell them when you're walking along the road. Tell them when you lie down. And tell them when you get up. Now that's everything. (laughs) When they get up, tell them. When they're walking, tell them. When they're lying down, tell them. Every, when you're sitting at home relaxing, playing Monopoly, whatever you do, tell them. We cannot be silent when God is so full of us. It's going to come out. It's a daily, moment by moment, impress them every step of the way. Every step of the way. That's why in Joshua, this is a prayer that my parents prayed and that they said, and I think every parent needs to echo this, and in Joshua 24, read this with me. As for me and my house... We will serve. We will serve the Lord because he is our God. What does that mean? That means in my house, we speak the name of Jesus. That means that in my house, there is a focus on God's word. It's the holy word. It's his Bible. That means in my house, decisions are made by consulting God. Not just consulting God, obeying God. (laughs) There's a difference. Consultants, you can say yes or no. We got a decision here. God, should we move back to Seattle? We heard very clearly. And I love all of you, but it was tough. I mean, do your your children have free choice? Well, yeah, everyone has free choice. But as long as you're in my house, Jesus is first. This is my house. You know, I love what, um, not all of you may remember this, but how many of you remember the old Andy Griffith show? Now, that predates me. <laughs> but, you know, YouTube knows me, and so it puts stuff like this in my scroll, right? And here's what I put in the scroll. There was this, there was this thing be, be, between this new drifter that came to town, and who was the little guy? 
Opie, right? And so Andy, he's, he's the town cop, town sheriff. He goes to this guy, and this guy's kind of leading him, saying, just, you know, kids should be able to pick and choose whatever they want, see whatever they want, just let them decide. And Andy looks at him, and he says, well, it just doesn't work that way. He said, because here's the thing. He said, kids will t- grab the shiniest, most glitterous, shiniest thing that's out there. He said, temptation often comes looking good. And he said, they don't realize it until they bite it, and now the hook is set. He said, it's my job to tell them someone's fishing for you. That's a shiny lure that's going to hook in your mouth and own you. It's our job as parents, as uncles, as the family of God, to protect the heart of our children. I can't look at somebody who's building a house on the sand and say, good job. I can't look at somebody that's building a house and say, hey, let me swing a hammer with you. If someone's building a house on the sand, I'm going to say, with all the love of Jesus, I know that looks pretty, but the first storm, you're going to be blown over. And all this work is for nothing. Now, can we be gracious? Yes. Can we be loving? We must. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If I see somebody running for a cliff, I'm not going to say, good job. I'm going to run to them and say, this will hurt you. This will kill you. This will destroy you. It's our responsibility to step up empowered by the name of Jesus, filled with the Spirit, and say, God, how would you have me walk? How can I walk in this way? Amen. Can we all stand together today? Father, we thank you for your word. It is light, it is strength, it is hope, it is truth that sets us free. And so, Lord, in this moment, Lord, this this is the moment when information is turned by your Spirit to wisdom. And then, Holy Spirit, you fill us, you remind us of the things we forget, and you give us boldness when we have fear. But you also... Give us love. You gave us the truth, but you front-loaded it with grace. So, Lord, help us today as we walk, to walk in your ways. So, as we respond today, what is God saying to you? There's several questions up here that connect to that, but maybe you need healing today. Maybe you, you've been owning guilt that's not yours to own. Or maybe you've tried to take things into your own hands instead of the Lord's. Whatever the Lord's speaking to you, maybe today you, you need to confess and be forgiven, or today you just need to lay down a burden to the Lord. One of the ways that we do that is through communion, that represents the blood and the the body of Christ that reminds us it's his strength in us, not our strength. We will be crushed. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. So we take the bread that represents his body and say, Lord, yes, I align myself with you. Forgive me today.
and we eat it. And then the blood that represents forgiveness, that represents sacrifice, that the Bible says by his blood we are healed, by his blood we are forgiven. And as we drink that and we confess, because the Bible says that we, we don't do this in an unworthily manner, it's serious. It's serious. Whatever is in your heart, sin, confession, it's a regular part of my life. It's a regular part of all of our lives. Do that. We have people here to pray. These are wonderful people I've known for a long time. You need to speak it out. Don't just hold it in. Say, would you pray with me today? It's powerful to share it, but maybe you're at a point, I don't want to share it. Just walk up and say, you know what? Just, just pray for me. <laughs> just pray for me. Let's respond. Transformation happens in response, not just, it's got to go from here to here. And you got to use your feet to do it. Let's respond to the Lord today. Amen. So, Lord, may we respond. Show us where we need training. Show us where we need more discipline. Show us any areas that we are confused by your spirit. Speak to us in this moment as we respond. Transform us today, I pray in your name. Amen. Let's, let's respond to the word of the Lord today. Lord, I pray that you would help us. God, show us the areas that we need to have more discipline in our life. Of just in your word, praying, gathering together when we like it, when it's tough. We're, we're family. We're committed to family. We're going to be together. Nothing's going to shake us. So Lord, help us to set our feet firmly on your rock, the rock that is higher than I Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. We stand on you. So, Lord, help us. And the Holy Spirit, fill us. Again, to remind us, the Holy Spirit teaches us in all things. It reminds us when we forget. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And you give us the boldness to step forward. And you give us the patience to wait. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall walk and not grow weary. They shall run and not faint. So Holy Spirit, show us when we need to wait. We trust in you and we lean on you. And everyone said together, amen, 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 amen. The Lord is so good. The Lord is so good. Let the word of the Lord just richly fill you. Dive into it. Get in a group. This is our benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Now go and live for Jesus.